So some of the, especially technology firms, pharmaceutical funds, they invest heavily into the US. Mm -hmm. They use our transaction group and taxation is different in every state. You have to understand that. But that should not initially drive your business decisions. Mm -hmm. So the site selection mm -hmm. piece is a very specific one because mm -hmm. you need to be very well connected to all the counties and state. Welcome to the Westbound Podcast. My name is Matthias Erzen, founder and managing director of the Erzen Group. Each month we bring you international business leaders to share their personal and professional journey in North America. Thank you for spending time with us. Now let's get to it. I'm very excited today uh, for another great episode. Um, today with us is uh, Gerhard Schneider. He is a partner at Rödel Partner, a uh, CPA firm, a multinational CPA firm here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm excited to talk to him today and learn about um, everything related to taxes, I guess. Hi, Gerhard. Hi, Christus. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Yeah, excellent. Very good. Thanks so much for, for coming by and talking Thanks to us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's start with you personally a little bit. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, uh, where in Germany are you from and how you how you made it to, to the United States? Mm -hmm. Basically, I'm from the very west of Germany, French-Luxembourg border. The Trier area, I grew up there, went to high school, went to military service in the Eiffel Valley, mm -hmm. and then started uh, ac academic career in Heidelberg, Mannheim, and finished up with accounting and tax in Saarbrück. Mm -hmm. So very west for Germany, decided to start in public accounting with the then uh, American firm Arthur Anderson. Mm -hmm was short in Düsseldorf, yeah. was shortly in London for a couple of months, then back in Düsseldorf. And when Anderson went out of business with the Enron episode, uh, the firm merged with Ernst Young in Düsseldorf, I mean in Germany, in Europe. Yeah. And I became part of Ernst Young. Worked on a big client and after two years, Uh, the firm decided to send a significant amount of senior people to the US. Mm -hmm. So I made it to Boston and became partner and the head of the German Business Center in Boston. In Boston. Okay. So I was basically responsible for German clients of Ernst Young, mm -hmm. technically Ernst Young Germany mm -hmm. in New England, mm -hmm. but also because of the geographic reach that was the only business center before I came. Mm -hmm. But as I came, there were eight other partners mm -hmm. and we did, you know, spread all over the place. But we still did significant business in Canada and California, Arizona, and some other remote places from a Boston perspective. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Very good. So and that happened in 2004. 2004. Or winter of 2004. Okay. Gotcha. So closing in on, what is that? 21 years? Is that right? 19. Yeah. 19. 19. 19 years. Okay. Gotcha. Almost yeah. 20. Yeah. Fantastic. So started out in Boston. That was probably quite different than Trier. Yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. It was different than Hamburg, where I did two internships, different than Mannheim, which is a very industrial place, mm -hmm. different than, I mean, very different than Heidelberg, which is a touristic place like mm -hmm. Trier. Mm -hmm. Or Saarbrück. But the funny thing about Boston is if you look at it from a bird's eye perspective, it looks like little London mm -hmm. because the, the Charles River meanders around the inner city like the Thames River is in London and everything looks very traditionally European. Mm -hmm. So the adjustment to Boston was not so much 
then it would have been to, let's say, Austin or Dallas. Okay, yeah. So this was maybe a dream place to go. Yeah. So other colleagues went to Chicago or Charlotte, Atlanta, and oh, Michigan, yeah, Detroit. Detroit as well, For okay. the business, but I was in the telecoms business, mm -hmm. so there was not a, a client assignment, so I was basically on my own and ventured into much of the healthcare and uh, pharmaceutical business in Boston. Okay. Besides some traditional German. Yeah. So that was, uh, so you would support like German telecommunications uh, businesses that actually also had had business then in the United States. For example, yeah. that or German medical device companies that had Makes sense. major subsidiaries in the Northeast, but also in California and in Canada and in uh, Arizona. Actually, that was one of my biggest clients. Mm -hmm where we did an audit following German Gap. So I had to be on that team to mm -hmm. sign off. Mm -hmm. So I was only doing audits mm -hmm. for eight years. For eight years. Okay, gotcha. So yeah. I, I basically never worked in tax, mm -hmm. but I, I'm a German Steuerberater, a tax consultant and yeah. a CPA because Germany has two professional titles, not one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit on that compared to the US? So Germany has two uh, professional titles, the US has one. Can you compare and contrast? So in, in the past, when I did my German tax advisor exam in 96, mm -hmm. that was like a major undertaking. Mm -hmm. That was like a universal ex a university exam. Mm -hmm. It took very long. You had to take months off to study mm -hmm. and you couldn't do it part-time or along your job. Nowadays, it changed a bit because the profession became unattractive because of the issue that you basically carve out from your private life and business life and study mm -hmm. just for the sake of an exam. Mm -hmm. The same for the CPA or Wirtschaftsprüfer exam, which is a major second undertaking where you get a little credit for tax mm -hmm. if you have done it. Otherwise, you do, you know, both in a big uh, exam. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it changed be much more user friendly <laughs> and you don't need to have five years of experience mm -hmm. to start doing the exam. Mm -hmm. So it changed to the better of the profession. So it's easier or it's more attractive to people that cannot carve out like months of their life mm -hmm. from family, friends and job to mm -hmm. do an exam. Yeah, yeah. So it's much easier, but at the time, and I don't want to get any credit for that, but it was <laughs> how it was. Yeah. It was a very static, boring exam, which was like a couple of questions and you never knew which ones they would put. Yeah. And then, what's different to the US, you have both prof professional exams are also an oral exam. Mm -hmm. And that's for hours. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you do multiple choice and a couple of other essays and turn it in and you are done, like mm -hmm. for the US CPA. Mm -hmm. It's you show up for five hours and you get nailed by a handful of professors mm -hmm. and once Who you almost don't want you to pass right i mean yeah at, at the time <laughs> i was doing the exam i thought like it's more beneficial for them to make you look bad and i felt like why do i do this for for years and it was yeah it was also a, i mean a financial adjustment mm -hmm. because you don't work you have to take unpaid time off or overtime Yep. And on the other hand, you have also the exam itself costs much more than participating in the US 
yeah. uh, CPA exam. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so you are a US CPA as well, right? So, yeah, finally, uh, yeah. and that was a little bit of a, a struggle through my time at the German desk. There was so much work that I never took the time to do the exam. And I thought like after three years I returned then because of some specific client requests, I stayed two more years, then the financial crisis came yeah. around 2010 and client said, so whatever happens, the partner doesn't leave the boat, mm -hmm. you have to stay on. And I was on two, three largest German clients that we worked with in the US. So the client insisted on me staying on. Mm -hmm. And that basically brought me into eight years of assignment. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then you also make personal life adjustments for you and your family. And in sure. that case, my wife, that we decided to stay and, you know, own a property. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you make a lot of friends over time yep. in the community and sure. elsewhere. Yep. And then you think, so what is more, where's my life going to continue? Yeah, before you know it, you have more roots in the United States than, Absolutely. than, than the ones you left in, in Germany. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, interesting. And then, so you, you're obviously with a Rudel and partner now. Um, so you were recruited from, from, uh, from, from them or how, how did you end up? Uh, yeah, it was a little yeah. bit, uh, so through the community, I learned that Rudel and partner is going to open or planning to open an office in New York, which was the closest to, to Boston where I lived or the Boston area. Yeah. And I had, I mean, I had a personal friend who was on the management board of Rödel and Partner at the mm -hmm. time in Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was responsible for a totally different area. But because of how the German economy works and the middle market economy, many of the Y clients were also typical Rödel clients. Mm -hmm. And often there were transactions happening between. Mm -hmm. So I had already touched base with the Rödel and partner US team, especially in Atlanta, because I was working on a bigger client acquisition where a private equity fund in Germany bought a company that owned US companies that were audited by Rödel. So the private equity fund wanted to have my firm being the auditor, so I visited mm -hmm. and I met basically everybody that was of importance at that time in the Atlanta office. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was easy to get in contact. And my wife urged me to talk to them <laughs> about staying in the US and joining them with the purpose of staying in our house, but working in New York. And working in New York. Yeah. So October 2012, mm -hmm. when my assignment was over at Ernst Young, I decided to would stay you have, in the US. Uh, would you have uh, had to go back to Germany? Or? I had to go back okay. to Germany because of the lack of CPA. Okay. The US firm would I not have. Okay. So mm -hmm. I could not make partner at the US firm. And mm -hmm. secondly, I never did larger US transactions mm -hmm. or clients. So mm -hmm. I was only partially on assignments mm -hmm. when A, for me to learn mm -hmm. or to figure something out or to help and be like a resource for review and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I never did a large client assignment for the US for myself, other than the German or Swiss inbound company or some Dutch and French, but okay. mainly Central European. Yeah, yeah. So this was the case. So the US firm was not interested in a senior person that doesn't have a CPA. Doesn't have a CPA. So yeah. I could not do my job. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. So then in uh, so it's 2012, you join you join Rudel and I was basically employee number one if you don't count the admin. Yeah, there were two partners and me, and we started for the New York office for the New York yeah. office. And the model was a bit different to how Rudel did it years before. We decided only to transfer a few isolated clients from the area, mm -hmm. and we didn't have the resources to do some larger ones. Mm -hmm. So we basically started from scratch. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's a, and must have been exciting. One of the assets I had was I was already on the board of the German American Chamber in New York. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because I was selected from them for representing the northern New England states. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because the chamber was in New York and in Boston, there was not a, a subsidiary or nothing. So they basically wanted to increase the membership into New England mm -hmm. and wanted to have somebody representing the New England area. So I made it on the board. And then ultimately I was in the finance committee and in the membership committee working, you know, expanding the reach of the chamber also. Yeah, excellent, very good. Do you still uh, have a, a seat now with, with, with the chamber? No, funny enough, the, yeah. over the pandemic, it didn't really matter so much where you were, so right. it was still on the board because yeah. nobody was traveling at a meeting. Yeah. So even the New York people, we always met virtually. Yeah. When this all unfolded, funny, uh, luckily, was my 12th year with the chamber uh, moving to Atlanta in 2018 basically had me later on after the pandemic rolling off the board because we had already a member mm -hmm. from Atlanta. My boss, S.A. de Kock, was on the board of the chamber mm -hmm. and another colleague made it on the board in Chicago. So the chamber didn't want to have an Atlanta mm -hmm. person sitting sure. in New York. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So a colleague from New York, the managing partner, he took over. He took over. My yeah. seat. Yeah. And uh, since then, I didn't make it back on the board because we have a partner from Houston where the the chamber branches out. So Texas belongs to the Atlanta mm -hmm. Southeast area. Yeah. And in order to represent the area, we decided to have a partner from Houston mm -hmm. being on the board. Yeah. Damn and it. we share the office with the chamber, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. Um, I think it's a good time to kind of transition a little bit and talk about Rudel and Partner itself, the business itself, mm -hmm. to give our listeners a bit of an idea. If I'm in, I think we're very similar clients, and uh, Rudel and Partner is a fourth uh, to be to be reckoned with. I see them all over uh, my mm -hmm. clients as the uh, premier uh, CPA and. Uh, tax auditor and um, tell us a little bit about um, uh, how how the company started, how large they are, how many offices they have. So Rödel and Partner started in 2000 mm -hmm. as basically a merger of Rödel International or an international branch of Rödel and uh, the Langford and Koch LLP and LP. So we have two companies serving tax and assurance clients in different companies. And Rödel is, uh, is is from Nuremberg, Germany, right? So originally Bernd yes. Rödel, who founded the company mm -hmm. about 40 years, 45 years ago, he grew up and practiced in Nuremberg. Mm -hmm. And when Germany went more international, he identified the need to follow German companies eastwards. Mm -hmm. So the first expansion of Rödel and Partner were into the neighborhood countries in the east of Germany. Mm -hmm. And then 
slowly over Europe and into Asia. Mm -hmm. And over the time, the firm developed, obviously, mm -hmm. way before I joined. Mm -hmm. And the only big white piece in the map was North America. Mm -hmm because in North America, the firm was not represented. And then Rödel decided not to start on their own in North America because the country is just very big. It's mm -hmm. the biggest economy in the world. And that was decided it makes not so much sense to do a greenfield operation. Mm -hmm. But I was not part of that, so mm -hmm. I don't even honestly know exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, it, people became to know each other and somehow they connected between S.A. de Kock Dieter Elsner, a German partner at the time, joining Rödel and the German organization, and they built up this practice in Atlanta mm -hmm. in 2000, mm -hmm. which then quickly developed into the Carolinas, mm -hmm. Chicago, in Alabama, mm -hmm. New York. And since I'm with the firm, so New York was the initial office I started with, we mm -hmm. started also an office in Detroit, in Cincinnati, and in Houston, Texas. In Houston as well, yeah. So now we have nine offices mm -hmm. comprising about 340, 350 people, mm -hmm. and they work in the same areas than all the other rural country practices work, which is accounting, bookkeeping, outsourcing, mm -hmm. tax consulting, tax compliance, audit assurance, mm -hmm. attestation. Mm -hmm and transaction advisory, transfer pricing. Mm -hmm. We are not a law firm by default in the US. So this is a big disadvantage because in every other country, Royal is a very well-known law firm. Mm -hmm. Some countries like Italy, the law firm is overwhelmingly bigger than all the other professions also in France. Mm -hmm. In the US, we cannot be a law firm and a CPA firm under one okay. roof. So it's regulatory. That it's is regulatory. Not allowed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why we work with you know a couple of different lawyers, sure, on demand, and everybody mm -hmm. has his lawyers friends he works with, and it depends on the location. Sure. Yeah. So it's a bit of a different business model than in any other place in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially if you think of you know I want to start a U.S. subsidiary. I talk to one guy and he can do everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We cannot. We need one other person who is a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although uh, probably a lot of times is uh, that that partnership that you have with some of those attorneys works out quite well. Or a German company coming here might already have a preference that, that they'd like to work with, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 They might have already a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And there's many German-speaking lawyers in so many different practices. Yeah, I know which some is of a them. Bit, <laughs> Yeah, which is a bit amazing because we concentrated the highest number of German-speaking accountants in one firm. So none of the big four has as many German CPAs or Steuerberater mm -hmm. or German speakers. So mm -hmm. one third of our firm speaks at least German. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a little bit less in the meantime because we added so many people. Mm -hmm. But we also looked at we try we cover other languages like mm -hmm. Spanish becomes more of importance. Sure. Also, other European languages are very useful. Yeah. You also, know, we have a big Asian uh, crowd in our employ under, amongst our employees. Yeah. I mean, with with 
so many joint ventures and mergers and acquisitions. I think I, I would think that it's going to be uh, everything is heading into a more multinational world, right? And yeah. uh, so there's probably a lot of different languages required. I've, you know, in just following Rödel, it's been amazing how over um, yeah 23 years the company has grown uh, uh, by that by that much, mm -hmm. and also see the. Uh, from an HR side, you know, we're uh, uh, executive search professional recruitment firm. It's interesting to see the HR outreach, like how there's a lot of career days uh, mm -hmm. to try to get and get the talent early and get it and teach it oh, the yeah. rural way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that changed over the last few years even more than before. At the very beginning, you know, we were lucky if we found somebody locally because our name is very German. Mm -hmm. Or un-American, so <laughs> to speak. And, you know, we usually acquire talent from, you know, overseas or by accident or like, you know, somebody goes with the German firm, let's say with BMW to Spartanburg and mm -hmm. the spouse is an accountant and likes to work mm -hmm. full or part-time and comes to us. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And that helps also because every assignment usually is a partner involved that also wants to work. Mm -hmm. Not always, but, you know, depending on the family situation, it's sure. able to work. Yeah. So that is a good part for recruitment. Mm -hmm. And then the client needs. So also everybody deems to speak English. It's mm -hmm. still a difference between business English and casual English. And many Germans are very happy to speak their own language when it comes to technical conversation. Yeah, finances, tech. I mean, in our practice... Um, you know, CFOs, uh, I mean, most of them are um, at least bilingual, uh, if not German mm -hmm. themselves, because it's just, you yeah. can, a lot of the operation is, 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 uh, can be completely American, you know, but that's the part where a lot of Germans also don't like to give up control, so to say, you know. Yeah. I mean, why should they? Because yeah. they own the business usually, sure. so they yeah. should have control. Yeah. That is one of the big advantages working with us because we speak their language. Mm -hmm. We can technically bypass the U.S. personnel, mm -hmm. which I would not recommend because that gives you less credit, mm -hmm. makes the situation just harder than it should be. But mm -hmm. the one or the other time in life, it's necessary to talk straight. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's easier in your language than in uh, acquired language. Absolutely. Yeah. On the other hand, for, for many like let's say accounting jobs in Germany. So if you imagine you work in the Sauerland area as an accountant and, and you deal with like the intercompany reconciliation and the other guy is American and speaks like twice the speed in English than you do, yeah. the conversation becomes a major undertaking. So right. many of the people in German accounting departments like to talk German when it comes to fixing a problem. Sure. With the accountant. Yeah, sure. Let's say if we do the outsourced accounting, it's easier to talk in, in German about a problem. And for many other technical reasons, the Germans like to speak in their language mm -hmm. because it's often about German gap, and that is unfortunately in German, and mm -hmm. it's not really nicely translated in English. It's mm -hmm. not like IFRS, the international mm -hmm. standards mm -hmm. that come from an English language mm -hmm. area like UK mm -hmm. or even the Netherlands, the German gap is a very isolated gap. It's only in Germany. Mm -hmm. So it's only in a few places in the world. Mm -hmm. And that makes like my job very useful because I can read it, I understand it, I can 
do interpretations mm -hmm. and I know what's allowed and not so I can help the clients and the team. Yeah. How is um, looking at, you know, bringing on talent and, you know, doing this career fairs and such, and then obviously you were educated in Germany mm -hmm. um, as well as, uh, you know, have worked here. Uh, what are some of the differences? Do you see, you know, if someone comes out of a, a decent school here with an accounting degree, are they on par with someone coming out of Germany? Are they higher? Are they lower as far as the educational? Um, It's a very interesting question you are asking because... Mm -hmm. Age-wise, they are younger, mm -hmm. but far advanced in what they learn and how they present themselves. Mm -hmm. So this is something the Germans or the Central Europeans still not catched up, like how to prepare somebody for life mm -hmm. rather than for like knowing all the Goethe novels. Then you, know, you come <laughs> out in business and yeah. So nowadays with you know TV and internet, it might change, mm -hmm. but We noticed that people leaving school are much younger, mm -hmm. very motivated, very well educated because there's a couple of great schools near to basically every office. Mm -hmm. And over time, you know, we started doing recruitment through Atlanta. Now we do even show up at schools in Chicago and New York. Mm -hmm. But you need to be very particular, mm -hmm. you know, accounting decrees, tax decrees. Mm -hmm. You want to hire specialists, people that are able to do their CPA shortly or during your college stay or your uh, university stay because that's the most valuable asset you can get is an early CPA exam. Yeah. So the competition is very tough because I the can big imagine. four and yeah. every mm -hmm. other local firm competes against us. Mm -hmm. And maybe our selling point is the international aspect yeah absolutely Because do you bring people over like do they get to go to uh, germany yeah but not immediately uh -huh. but for the senior and manager days so they have joint classes and trainings mm -hmm. Not at the very beginning, because a lot of stuff is very American, mm -hmm. very gap and tax related, mm -hmm. which they don't teach anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. And because we don't use the same software that the European firms use, mm -hmm. we need to train them in-house first. Then they have a, we have a lot of exchanges, first amongst the US firm, mm -hmm. because we have nine offices, we can do a ton of training off-site mm -hmm. or often in our office because by far the largest, but also in Chicago, we have a decent space to do it. Mm -hmm. Or at some point of time in the year, you know, you get a deal somewhere else and bring the people there for school. Sure, yeah. Um, so hiring is, I mean, as you can imagine, is an issue nowadays to find the right people that yeah. are willing to work with a firm where half of the people speak a different language. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's not your typical CPA firm where everybody speaks English on the floor because people like me are on the phone for hours in another language. Yeah. And we travel for weeks a year to other countries. Yeah. But people like it when they understand our USP. Sure. That you work in an international environment. But if your goal is after school to work at a CPA firm, grow And then, you know, hit the road and go to like a firm or a client that does an IPO. Mm -hmm. We are not the right firm because mm -hmm. our clients are not public in the US. Yeah. They are private. They are private owned family business. That's a, that's actually a very good transition to who is your core customers? I think it's very similar to ours, but um, mm -hmm. if you were to describe it, what would you say? I think uh, Rödel would say of themselves, they are a niche uh, mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, practice. Um, in the US, we are clearly a niche player yeah. because the market is a huge. There's mm -hmm. a large number of CPAs, whereas like the Wirtschaftsprüfer in Germany, there's only 14,000. Mm -hmm. But CPAs is way six digit. <laughs> I read it the other day, but I forgot the number. It's 150,000. So what, what are you say? So the equivalent of the CPA in Germany, the Wirtschaftsprüfer, yeah. there's only 14,000 of them in all yeah. of Germany, yeah. which Germany is 83 million, 84 yeah. million people size of Texas. And then yeah. US you have... 340 million and 10 times the CPA. 10 times yeah. the CPA, yeah. okay, yeah. But you can also be a CFO of a private company or public company and be a CPA. Okay. If I would be a CFO in Germany, I cannot use my title anymore. Mm -hmm. There's only an exception for Steuerberater, but that is mm -hmm. maybe a little bit off topic and too technical. <laughs> so the hiring is a bit more difficult because we are a small niche player with mm -hmm. a very limited focus. We mm -hmm. want to attract middle market companies mm -hmm. or startups from Europe mm -hmm. or other countries. In the meantime, it doesn't matter so much because we are 50 countries of the world. So we have also Brazilian or Mexican or Canadian clients. Okay. So you have 50 offices all, all the time. Of 50 countries, 50 110 countries, offices. 110, 50 countries, 110 offices. offices. It's incredible. And yeah. that, does that, um, to going back a little bit to an earlier part of our conversation, did uh, you mention that, uh, you know, in 2000, uh, well, I guess in 2000, they just started uh, the, the decision Atlanta was made office. to so do US, right? Basically, yeah. Langford the Cop joined Rödel yeah. Yeah. in a in the GV type of business. But Rödel did, from the inception of the company, they started following their clients um, to all these other countries, or was there... Yeah, Rödel started following main, mainly the German clients and sent people to Eastern European countries. Yeah. And what was at that time easy because of past World War II demographics, a lot of people studied in Germany mm -hmm. and went back to their countries. Mm -hmm. So there were German speakers in Eastern European countries, but also in a lot of Asian countries or African countries, mm -hmm. because these people started in Eastern Germany mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and went to Vietnam or to yeah. Africa. Yeah. So the major differentiator for our firm worldwide is that in every office somebody speaks German mm -hmm. language, mm -hmm. which helps the Austrian industries also. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. in the meantime, there is a lot of other languages prevalent in. Yeah, sure. I mean, you have an office in Brazil, for example. Yeah. I think you. I think you have one um, employee there who's very. He's very good on social media. So. I'm oh yeah, Phil. Yeah, yeah, he's I, very well known. Yeah. Phil leads the Brazilian office, but he's German, but married to Brazilian. Interesting. Okay. And then there are a couple of people that carry a German name, but they are born and raised in Brazil. Okay. Yeah. So obviously Portuguese, you know, is, mm -hmm. is part of the practice. Yeah. And back to the to the target clients, so mid-sized mid clients. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, so mainly our clients are family-owned mm -hmm. or an investment pool of families that invest in certain areas mm -hmm. or like a trust. Mm -hmm. Some of them are public but small mm -hmm. and they have foreign subsidiaries, but they are public in Europe or in Germany. Mm -hmm. The majority of our clients are world market leader in their niche, mm -hmm. like us. Mm -hmm. Maybe we are not as much world market leading than them, but many of them have a technology nobody else has developed. Yep. So they are very known in their field. Mm -hmm. And they need to expand worldwide because of lead times of supply chain and so mm -hmm. on. And yep. also of the lack of talent in Germany because yep. 
Germany has such a weight in the global economy, but it's so small, as you said, 83 million people, mm -hmm. the size of a state in the US, and therefore they have to be where their customers are. Mm -hmm. Many of the customers moved eastwards, very east, and to the US. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the US is one of the largest trading partners of Germany, and mm -hmm. you notice that in every aspect of the business. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting how you see, you see all clients too. You have the wall fell in '89, uh, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You have the eastward expansion, right? Then uh, we all go to Asia, right? And right, yeah. right now it seems like there's a transition from foreign direct investment is not going to Asia, but more to North America. Is that also what you're seeing in your practice? So we we have a couple of observations in in the rural world. We see people hesitating a little bit with China at mm -hmm. the moment, but going to other countries like Vietnam or or Korea and India. Mm -hmm. And then we have a surge in the US mm -hmm. because of the good performance of the domestic economy mm -hmm. and the weight of the economy in the US and the technology that is developed here. So we are much more affine to technology to trial and error and to try something new. Mm -hmm. So many of our clients come here with R&D departments or with the objective of developing something, even if it doesn't work, mm -hmm. they try it in the US because people here are more entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, you can fail many times and still walk upright through your community. Mm -hmm. And also many of our clients Clients come to the US and they have to follow if they want to fulfill a contract. Yeah, yeah. So if you have a global contract, for if you have a global yeah. contract, if you have a product that is replicated, let's say car industry, you mm -hmm. have a, a model that's built in the US mm -hmm. and in Germany, so mm -hmm. they want to have the same supplier because mm -hmm. the parts are still the same. Mm -hmm. There are only very, very little differentiator between the countries. Mm -hmm. The same applies to any other industry. Mm -hmm. You know, you do a machine and you build it in three places of the world mm -hmm. and the suppliers are all the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the parts are the same and you invest in the same tools and you don't wanna do that so many times because it only pays off if you have a certain number of product mm -hmm. done, Yeah, if you can replicate it. Yeah. Do you have uh, offices in Mexico as well? Yeah. Yeah, it must be a pretty large office, right? Yeah, there's uh, a large office in, um, Mexico City, but also in Puebla mm -hmm. for the suppliers of the car industry. Yeah, car industry. Yeah, I mean that's what uh, that's what we kind of call it the trifecta, right? You have uh, Germany, yeah. the U.S., uh, Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, often there's uh, uh, you know someone manages all of it, or uh, yeah. there's definitely a lot of uh, interconnection between the three. And there's yeah. a lot of like outsourced manufacturing that stuff is done in Mexico and shipped to the U.S. Yeah, and then put together and shipped to the final customer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And on the other hand, there's stuff going to Mexico because some of the bigger automotive companies put the models or they build the cars in Mexico mm -hmm. instead of the US. Mm -hmm. So the parts go over there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But there's a lot of interaction and I think it's only getting more. Mm -hmm. All political aspects aside, still a huge connection and that will be indefinitely for the moment, I guess, between the Mexican and the US economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I just spoke to an automotive supplier 
um, here in the southeast and, uh, you know, with the recent developments of, uh, you know, some of the union contracts that mm -hmm. there's been some announcement made that now the, you, uh, the southeast is next, um, you know, then, um, I mean, all you're going to do is send that production to Mexico, you know, because they, they already have a location there. Yeah. And a different set of challenges, you know. Uh, you, it's so they are thinking that the units expand to the south. But yeah. They might be interested to see how this works, but, yeah, you know, a couple of companies feel the pressure yes yeah. right yeah I mean that uh, I don't I forget his name but the, the gentleman who leads the UAW he uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know he um, announced that now the southeast is next and that they're going to try to get everybody to you know so we'll see how that's going to go yeah we yeah. saw that at one of the American car companies that the unions block some of their actions and I mean from learning from Germany or from France where the unions are very strong when it comes to like organized strike or violent even. Mm -hmm. In Germany, it's still working somehow, but there's still, you know, a couple of situations where you wish you would not be unionized. Yeah. For the workforce, it's truly to be an adjustment and an advantage, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that all works towards like the four day week. I, I mean, in our profession, I see more the six day mm -hmm. than the four day week. And, <laughs> and like you, Yes, you travel a lot. You don't go for four days. No, it's yeah. no, it's no business case. Yeah, even we know the Friday is a slow day, and the Monday mornings not always where everything starts, unless you organize it very well when you do a business trip. Yeah, but I don't know in the global world if the shortage of the work week is the right solution. Yeah, I think time will tell. I mean, it's kind of like the home office right now, mm -hmm. um, you know, work from yeah. home. I mean, you see even companies like Zoom. I know that's the, the browbeating line, but like com even companies like Zoom want their people back in the office. Yeah. It's probably a mix that's going to stay, you know. A bit yeah, and it's very unfair for many of our clients as well yeah. as for yours. You know, if you work in the manufacturing business, mm -hmm. there is no home office. There is no home office. There's no way. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of companies that have no choice than showing yeah. have their workforce report to work. Yeah. Or think construction. I mean, then you're at least outside. Yeah, yeah. So what is your role mainly? I know in the past you were, uh, you know, you managed eight years of, you're probably in the weeds of, of, of doing it all. I think you have more of a uh, business development role now. How, how does yeah. your role look now as a partner at, uh, at Rödel? That's correct. So I was an auditor by default. And mm -hmm. I, start, I started doing business development because I did Big four accounting firm, you need to do business development in order to advance to become a partner unless you are the national office technical type of guy, mm -hmm. which I was not. Uh, I like being out at the client. I worked on large clients and was basically out of the office the whole year mm -hmm. with little interruptions. Mm -hmm. um, and I still like that, which you know comes handy when you do business development because if you sit at your desk, you cannot do so much. Yeah. You can do cold calls or try to organize or write emails, but you got to see people. Yeah. It's still a people business. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the more executive your contact is, the yeah. more it's a people business. Yeah. You don't call up a CFO of a big multinational company and chat over the phone for an audit engagement. Mm -hmm. You got to see the people, you got to meet with them, mm -hmm. with their auditor, with their stakeholders. And it's a process which is not done in one visit. Mm -hmm. So my role is, since I started at Rödel, is business development, mm -hmm. getting new clients, developing clients, 
Mm-hmm. Also developing relationships at points where you not necessarily have the next engagement in mind, mm-hmm. but you want to get into this area of business or you want to understand a little bit more mm-hmm. or you want to add value to existing mm-hmm. relationships. Because for many of our clients, we're not doing the whole mm-hmm. nine yards. Mm-hmm. We're only doing like tax or audit. Some of them don't need it. Mm-hmm. Others should need it, but, you know, they have like two different suppliers Mm -hmm. because it's a strategic thinking. Sure. We can do it. You know, not everybody drives the same model of cars throughout the whole family. That's the same in our business. Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some like it, others not. Yeah, yeah. So if someone have it different, so there's always room for improvement. And what is very interesting in our profession is Mm -hmm. with every legislative change, or change in tax law, there are new opportunities of stuff we have not. So, for example, the previous administration changed tax rates, especially mm-hmm. for corporate tax. Yeah, that was went down to twenty percent. Is that twenty one? Yeah, twenty one. Yeah. So that was a huge advantage for the USA as a point of investment, mm-hmm. because before we were not fully competitive against like up-and-coming countries or mm-hmm. pre countries that have lower rates than established economies like Central Europe. Mm-hmm. And it's a political thing because you need to either have majority or have, you know, a good group of politicians that support it. Mm-hmm. So right now, a couple of tax rules are un- definitely in place. Others phase out after 25. So mm-hmm. that will be at least some caps on the individual tax rate phase out in mm-hmm. two years, mm-hmm. three years. So this will be interesting how that develops and whatever happens at that time will be a new play field also for CPAs. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. clients need help and there might be mm-hmm. help needed or not. So we don't know what happens. Mm-hmm. So that is a very interesting part of my job. Yeah. Really. What I also found very interesting about Rudel is that you guys tackle really your service offering around all kinds of, um, you know, needs the client might have. So from what I understand, you have a site selection uh, partner or office, you have a M&A part, and then obviously the the core business, so to say, the auditing and the tax, the accounting. Can you kind of break that down a little bit? Like what's what's like the the core competency and then what are some of the auxiliary um, business uh, business units? Three interesting parts of our business. One is the core accounting and business outsourcing part Mm -hmm. where we take over the accounting and the tax function of a small or larger company. Mm -hmm. It really depends on the objective. Mm -hmm. So not every two or three people company has an accountant because in the US talent is short and labor is expensive. So Mm -hmm. if you have a very small entity, you Mm -hmm. don't hire an accountant because you don't have enough to do and you overpay Mm -hmm. because you cannot get a good accountant for $40,000 or for 60 or 80. (laughs) So it becomes a point where many of our clients ask us to step in and take it over because Mm -hmm. they cannot or they don't want to pay for it because they need to focus on market development, their own business development, production and sales. Sure. Back office is not the important part. So we take that on, but not the real back office. We don't answer their phone. We don't sell their product. We just 
process their accounting. The accounting. And on that's that part, a big part that we have in every office. And on that, for example, let me ask you there, mm-hmm. like how, uh, like, uh, you know, we're, we're a small business, you know, we don't mm-hmm. work with Rödel, uh, but... Technically, um, you could, yeah. Uh, yeah, we could, technically. Yeah. And like how, so would you actually work with whatever software solution they have? Like, yeah. you know, some small companies work with QuickBooks, you know, obviously yeah. larger with SAP. How, how does that work practically? We basically do exactly what the client wants. Okay. So in the very beginning, like also, let's say in Germany, for example, mm-hmm. you know, the CPAs work with Datev, a common yep. software solution. Familiar with it. And yeah. everybody who works in that business can operate from every office, every firm. Mm-hmm. It's always the same. In the US, maybe QuickBooks is the comparable software. Mm-hmm. So we do QuickBooks. If a client comes along and has MS Dynamics or Navision or SAP, mm-hmm. we train and have trained people to do that because some of the clients don't want to give it away if mm-hmm. they already had it mm-hmm. or others want to transition because the group is using a certain software, mm-hmm. but they don't have the people. Mm-hmm. So also on the SAP area, many of the large companies require their suppliers to use SAP yep. to interact the supply chain, mm-hmm. but they are lacking the accountant because they are too small to have an expert. Mm-hmm. And the SAP expert in the U.S. is also not that broad. It's not a broad. It's very hard to fill. I can it's hard to fill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're working. And not only here, but SAP developed so quickly that people got out of touch with mm-hmm. the software because if you don't go from like some minor releases to SAP for HANA, mm-hmm. how should your people do? Mm-hmm. They don't know. Yeah. Whereas QuickBooks is a kind of intuitive accounting software, which mm-hmm. applies to everybody. But once your business gets a little bit more complex and you process inventory mm-hmm. and projects, it's outgoing. Mm-hmm. So we also are able to do other softwares and especially we run on their servers mm-hmm. or we host the solution that the client can dial in and mm-hmm. see the numbers. Mm-hmm. So we open that up because otherwise we would not have access to those clients. Got it. So you do everything from the general accounting to APAR, all yep. that you would take. And we integrate yep. the payroll through yep. third-party providers mm-hmm. because a very American thing, the CPA doesn't put process payroll because of the 50 ununited states of America <laughs> if it comes to yeah. local tax and payroll taxes yeah. and rules. Mm-hmm. So we use that and it's a big advantage for our clients because mm-hmm. they don't need to change if they come to us or if they take it in-house, which mm-hmm. is often very beneficial if you already use their software, mm-hmm. then they can leverage. Makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. And they could technically do it even in Germany mm-hmm. for a limited amount of time or for indefinitely. Some do it, but you know, if you don't know the rules, then it becomes more complex. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, so, that's that's the whole that's the whole USP, right? I mean, you understand Germany in and out and the mm-hmm. tax system and how that relates uh, to uh, US uh, US gap and then transfer pricing and, and all those. I mean, so many of of, of, of the clients that they, they start out, you know, it's a, it's a small entity when they exactly. get going, and really they need to be focusing on. Sales uh, mostly, yeah. and uh, you know, or servicing the equipment. Sales, that you, service, yeah. cash flow. Yeah, because if you don't get cash, yeah. you break. Yep, and then it's good to. Yeah, yeah, you made a good point because once is the accounting side, the other side is the whole tax side. So mm-hmm. you can outsource as much as you want. Mm-hmm. You can do sales tax yourself, but you can also outsource it. Mm-hmm. And there's a common software solution for that, which integrates with the IRS. Mm-hmm. So one of I think the biggest 
junk of revenue in our firm comes from tax and okay. tax-related, mm -hmm. including transfer pricing, expatriate trans, uh, taxation. Mm -hmm. So an, an expatriate ta taxation we also do for larger firms. Okay, so that if the so what you're saying is if it's a larger firm and they have many experts here, you would mm -hmm. actually help with the tax returns and the tax uh, situations yeah. of their expats. Individuals. Yeah. Okay. Even if you don't do the tax for the firm. Okay. Because many of the larger European companies do request for proposals within, you know, the accounting community, and we are part of it because we are in the major countries in the world mm -hmm. where they are. Mm -hmm. So if they have people in China, India, Malaysia, Philippines, Brazil, and the US, mm -hmm. we can participate because we have experts on that. And by the time, you know, as you know, as the firm has a certain size, we decided to specialize. Mm -hmm. So not everybody that is a tax consultant does returns. Mm -hmm. So there are people that only do experts, other people only do transfer pricing mm -hmm. or R&D tax credits. Mm -hmm. Because we figured out that if you replicate certain things, it's much more of value for the client and your costs are lower, mm -hmm. because you don't reinvent the wheel every time. Mm -hmm. Other stuff like corporate tax, we do in every office because of the local proximity. Mm -hmm. And the same is in the audit and accounting area where we have people in every office mm -hmm. doing the same because we want to be where the clients are. Mm -hmm. So in your case, for example, um, you would uh, you know, sign up a new client for, mm -hmm. for Rödel and then you would hand it to your team. Um, yeah. And they, they would help them with uh, whatever need they have. So um, so that's the accounting piece, that's the tax piece. Then there's also a M&A piece and a site selection piece, right? Can so the site selection mm -hmm. piece is a very specific one because mm -hmm. you need to be very well connected to all the counties and state mm -hmm. business development organizations. Mm -hmm. And if you think of 300 people trying to do that, mm -hmm. we would end nowhere. Mm -hmm. So we have a very small team that is dedicated to site selection mm -hmm. and the partner travels usually most of his time in Europe and tries to find out new clients and that works through a very specific network of state business developer. Mm -hmm. So states from the US are doing business development in Europe, mm -hmm. like Georgia yep. has an office in Munich. Yeah, South Carolina Al does too, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Alabama has one in Stuttgart, yeah. I yeah. Mean, because the guys in Stuttgart, others have in Belgium or yeah. in France or in England. Yeah. So the states also go and lobby mm -hmm. and we piggyback them basically. So we do, for so example- So in essence, I mean, it's interesting because you, I think you're absolutely right. So you have, there's big money uh, in these states, uh, you know, having these representations in they Germany. They compete yeah. against each other. Right. So they're trying to outsell each other, right? Yeah, and so absolutely. instead of a German company getting into the wheels of that competition, so to say, it'd probably be better to be with an, an independent advisor such as uh, your firm, you know, because you kind of go through looking at all the different options, comparing all the different offerings right. in the states. You know, when the team has done that multiple times a year, you figure out where you get mm -hmm. what you need. Mm -hmm. What not always means it's always the same state. It is mm -hmm. very often depending on what are your staffing needs. People usually forget that. Yep. And you figure that maybe out, you know, they come to you and tell you, we need like a production head or an R&D head or a sales mm -hmm. guy. And then they figure out we are at the wrong place because the, majority of the businesses in Texas or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we also 
figure that out. So you need to know which area of the US is very well suited for that industry. Yeah. And there's like two ground rules. One is you go where the competition is because there's your talent and your next employee. Yeah. Or you go where nobody is yeah. and you get more incentives. But then you got to start from scratch and have maybe very long distances to bridge when you do services, deliveries, and where you ship your stuff. You know how we all look at that in the recruiting world? It's if you go where your competition is, you're not going to find talent. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if, if you go where no one is, there isn't any talent. Exactly. Uh, these these are the two options in recruiting. You kind of have to uh, really work hard to 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 find the right people. Yeah, but sometimes you know the technology startups all went to San Francisco for a reason, mm -hmm. and there's like all companies yep. in Houston for a reason, yep. which is raw material. Sure. Yeah. And there are the furniture companies or the or furniture industry in the Carolinas. Yep. And then there's like a automotive southeast, yeah. So automotive wasn't here maybe 50 years ago, True. so I might not know, but I assume like let's assume it. And then like some Asian, you know, Japanese, Korean, and German firms came to the southeast, yeah. and all of a sudden, the industry is in the non-unionized states. Yeah. And then you have other industries that are very concentrated around huge colleges, universities, where there's a talent pool or people that started the business. I mean, the same applies to Europe too, but maybe not as prevalent than here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's very true. I mean, it's, I think BMW started in, in the 90s, 96, mm. 92 in Spartanburg. And I mean, look at the region now. I mean, many of your and my clients are uh, in, in... It's the largest factory they yeah, have. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. I, I heard actually, by the way, that I don't know if this is true or not, but that they don't want to be called a uh, a sister uh, factory anymore. Mm -hmm. but, uh, they They're the be. flagship plant. Yeah. 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 It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. It's the hugest plant. And also for us, we have two offices in the proximity because of all the suppliers. Yeah. yeah. And then by the time... There's new industries coming in, like for the electric vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. That's that don't now. need a lot of all the old suppliers. Mm -hmm. And they're still in the area. I mean, they will be in the area because yeah. the plant is there already. I mean, Greenville 30 years ago um, would probably be an interesting place to see. Yeah. yeah. And now it's uh, it gets rated as one of the best places to retire. So um, mm -hmm. it's it's actually pretty. I like I like Sought after, yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. a nice downtown, yeah. Yeah. So the M&A part, tell us about this a little bit. So the M&A part is not really the M&A part because the classic M&A business we cannot do out of a CPA firm mm -hmm. because the M&A business is more, um, you know, it's not by hourly rates or mm -hmm. fixed fees. It's more by success or not. So okay. we cannot, we cannot, you know, I cannot get paid if a tax return gets accepted or not. Sure. And we cannot get paid if we find a target for a client or not. Mm -hmm. So we have friends of the firm that help us find targets. Mm -hmm. If clients ask and they do, mm -hmm. only in rare circumstances, we know somebody is for sale, but our business is inbound. So the chances that the owner wants to sell it is very low. Mm -hmm. So our team is more a transaction support team okay. that goes with the client. We find them a target. Mm -hmm. or they have something in mind because they know their business very well. Mm -hmm. And we help them doing tax and accounting due diligence. And mm -hmm. then we have a law firm or they have a lawyer or a transaction lawyer helps mm -hmm. 
you know, looking through the risk and then they might do an HR audit mm -hmm. or a market audit. Usually they do the market themselves because they know each other already. Sure. In very rare cases, they don't. Mm -hmm. But in most cases, they do. And then it depends on the party so much they want to open up to each other or not. Sure. But the due diligence group is very unique that we don't do outsourced work. So we don't give data room work to cheap labor. Mm -hmm. We do it all with a team of two, technically three partners and a good group of experienced people. And they don't do tax returns or audits. Mm -hmm. They do nothing else than transactions. Then transactions, okay. And the classic transaction is between five and 50 million okay. in value. But recently we had also very large ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, speaking of values a little bit, um, you probably don't want to reveal how large Rödel is uh, uh, worldwide or how large they are. Um, worldwide is very easy. It's yeah. on our webpage. It's yeah. about 5,500 people, yeah. 110 offices. And I believe not to say something wrong, I think around 600-ish million revenue okay. in Europe. Wow. Yeah, that's and we are the second largest practice behind Germany. Yeah, yeah, not in people, but in revenue. The, the United States is the United States yeah. practice. Okay, yeah, and we are the second or the largest audit practice within Rödel, okay. which is very interesting. Yeah, because we have a ton of clients mm -hmm. that are not Rödel clients in Germany. Okay, so many multinational family business mm -hmm. use our firm abroad, but not necessarily in Germany because they might have a very good relationship with. The best body from the Sauerland. Locally driven, yeah, okay. Yeah. Arabian. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it might change over time, but not immediately. So when we talk to a new prospect, we basically guarantee exclusivity. Yeah. So we don't go after the headquarter or after the CPA because in many cases, like I had this morning with a new client, I talked to their CPA and the head office. My objective is not to push the local CPA out because we need him. Sure. Often they recommend us even yeah. because they know we know German gap, we know German. And they don't have an international presence. And they don't have a presence. Yeah. They might have a network, yeah. but it's totally different if you work with a firm that is operating as a own firm. Sure. With own offices worldwide until it comes to somewhere we have a partnership because we are not present in let's say Colombia or unfortunately mm -hmm. Canada. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So we have associated firm practice in this country. So firms that are friends and they belong to our, uh, our system. Yeah. We have, you know, we spoke about uh, different languages in your office the other day and how, how the business is becoming, uh, well, the core business might be mm -hmm. German companies, but it's also additional for us, the same thing. So, say about 65% is, uh, is German businesses. Mm -hmm. That's mainly due to me being a business developer in German. <laughs> um, you know, but we have quite a few Danish clients or Scandinavian in general, Swedish, Danish. Yeah. Um, we have Benelux, uh, several clients there, um, some French clients. How is the makeup there for, for, for Rudel? You guys are also uh, more uh, European. Also. Much more European than yeah. when I started and maybe much more European than when, you know, the US started. Mm -hmm. At the beginning, it was mainly German inbound. Mm -hmm. Now it's more German speaking about, so we have a, mm -hmm. we have two Austrian partners, mm -hmm. but one works mainly in audit, the other one is business development centric. So we have two Austrian partners and there's no comparable firm in Austria. So I believe, and I like to say that we are the market leader in the family businesses for Austrian companies. Mm -hmm. 
we started looking into the Swiss practice much more since we have a new team in Switzerland, mm -hmm. which is much more market focused. So in the last one and a half years, I visited three times. I did seminars in Switzerland and we increased the middle market client base because they didn't even know we existed. What does your competition look like in Switzerland? You would think with all the banking that they would the, be strong. The huge companies yeah. in Switzerland are very, they are much larger in the US than in Switzerland. So okay. They usually work with a big four firm mm -hmm. because like if you look at UBS mm -hmm. itself, it's so much larger than any other local mm -hmm. bank in the US. Yeah. So this is, and we don't do financial services or insurances anyway. Yeah. So this is not of interest for us. But in Switzerland, you have a lot of private equity funds and investors that, you know, which people that owe Swiss and American real estate. That mm -hmm. is a good business. Mm -hmm. We haven't really focused on so much, but there's a lot of investors from Switzerland in the US mm -hmm. and a lot of US people investing their money in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. so there's cross-border taxation issues. We can help. Mm -hmm. We identified that, but we didn't have the resources to tackle it. Mm -hmm. And beyond Switzerland, we are looking into Nordic countries because now world is also in Norway, Finland, and in Denmark. Mm -hmm. They were only in Sweden mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And in the Baltics, now we are in every country. That mm -hmm. makes a huge difference mm -hmm. and opens us much more to their clientele. Mm -hmm. The same applies to the Netherlands, Luxembourg, and Belgium. But in all the three countries, we have only alliance partners, mm -hmm. not own firms, which makes it a little bit more difficult. But sure. just recently, I work much more with Benelux companies too. Mm -hmm. Because they all have the same issue. They don't want to work with the big four if they are individually too small. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a, a very same uh, proposition for us. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, we've got Corn Ferry, Spencer Stewart and the like in our market. And, uh, you know, our clients uh, much prefer to work with, uh, um, you know, with a smaller company that can bring oh, yeah. the same same kind of um, quality to it. But um, let me ask you about private equity a little bit. Maybe maybe you're the mm -hmm. wrong partner to ask. I don't know, but I'll ask. Um, do you see more private equity um, activity coming out of I've seen some stuff lately. Like, do you see more private equity activity coming into your client base out of yeah. Germany. And why, why, would you, why would you say that's the case? So some of the, especially technology firms, pharmaceutical funds, they invest heavily into the US. Mm -hmm. They use our transaction group mm -hmm. and some of our allied lawyers. to. For one, we did over 20 projects in the last few years. Mm -hmm. And then at some point they bundle it and may sell it mm -hmm. and the whole thing is gone. Mm -hmm. To let's say a flagship international firm, mm -hmm. but th this is German, for the German money, right? Or it's German money yeah. or European money. Or European I mean, money. in the meantime, one thing is maybe we are interested. If you go to Switzerland and talk to the management, mm -hmm. many of them are not Swiss mm -hmm. anymore. The mm -hmm. same in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. because the European, mm -hmm. including the Swiss labor market, is very international. Mm -hmm. Switzerland, for its own reason. It's not EU, but Schengen, mm. and has a whole lot of foreign executives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it depends on the tax regime, on on some other factors, like where's the money actually coming from? Mm -hmm. Is it there like a huge family trust mm -hmm. in Germany, mm -hmm. which like, for example, from, you know, the SAP founders, they have their own mm -hmm. companies, yep. and many of them, people don't even know they are, you know, that's an SAP 
person or money is behind them. Mm -hmm. They have fantasy names. Mm -hmm. They invest into future growing businesses. Mm -hmm. And for many of them, we work with those funds and companies mm -hmm. doing work in the US. Mm -hmm. Even you would not necessarily understand who's the owner. Mm -hmm. And it's not the typical family business. Mm -hmm. But because talent moves around Europe very well, mm -hmm. it's not if there's a German guy showing up, it doesn't mean it's a German company. Right, exactly. Can yeah. be, and they can hire somebody that is the ideal fit right. from another country. And now crazy with the after COVID, you know, people move to like Portugal or Spain, but still work for a German company. Sure. Yeah. So it becomes more international and the yeah. tax issue is just more complicated. Yeah. I, I think this is actually really good for us as Germans. I don't know if you agree. I think that mm -hmm. um, we would have tended to all stay together, even though we are well traveled, right? I yeah. mean, you see travel, Germans traveled. I was just in Miami and I couldn't believe how many uh, Germans yeah. there were. Um, but uh, but as a society, very close knit, yeah. uh, right? And I think in a way, even this uh, shortage of talent is kind of like, well, if you can find someone else, that doesn't matter. Where, it's almost like it doesn't matter where someone is from if they can do the job, they're going to exactly. get the job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and then there's still a lot of Germans that tend to look into the US for like personal reasons because they like how we live and do work. Mm -hmm. Because you know, when you are a very outgoing person. The limitations in Germany are totally different than here because here people are more outgoing and more talking about what they do and what not. Mm -hmm. So especially on the investor side, people deem it more beneficial to move to the US to proceed their business mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or their real estate business because still in Europe, real estate is not as much as a big business than it's here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because, I mean, it, it's a high price point, but it's not. It's very family-centric, mm -hmm. owned by sort of the government or funds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not so much here. What would you say are some of the, if you have a new inbound client um, that isn't all that familiar with the U.S., mm -hmm. uh, but has maybe client, lots of our clients are, they already have four or five million dollars in sales here. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's now we're going to start. Now, now we're going to set up the entity and now we're going to, you know, they've serviced it out of Germany. What are some of the biggest misconceptions in regards to tax, accounting, uh, between the two worlds. So one thing which I usually tell the people is the dog always wags with the tail and not the other way around. Mm -hmm. If you come to the US or want to come to the US and ask me where can we save most taxes or how can we structure that we don't pay tax, I'm always asking, okay, you're asking a CPA, which is good, <laughs> and I should answer your question, but is that why you come here? Mm -hmm. You need to understand what's the major driver for your expansion. If you're interested in saving taxes, that is not the brightest idea <laughs> because you need to do business. Mm -hmm. You need to get clients mm -hmm. and then we can talk mm -hmm. because everything is different. But taxa so for the German, it doesn't work the German way. Mm -hmm. And the Germans have to understand it's a big country. It's, you know, from Helsinki to Spain, to Israel, to Turkey. Mm -hmm. You know, the country is so big, you cannot assume that a sales rep does as many meetings he does in Europe or in Germany. Mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe does only one a day mm -hmm. because it's a big country. And taxation is different in every state. You have mm -hmm. to understand that. But that should not initially drive your business decisions. Mm -hmm. Other than what we talked before, sure. talent, market, sure. competitors, raw material, access to ports or mm -hmm. transportation or what have you. Mm -hmm. But then 
the taxation is secondary, in my opinion, that we want to do everything right, that you do it the right way, but mm -hmm. it should not be the decision making. Where do I go with my next plant? Mm -hmm. I want to save taxes. Mm -hmm. you, go, you go to Mississippi, but there's no client. Yeah, or Florida, and, and you can't insure your plant. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then in Florida, you don't have the blue color people that mm -hmm. can fix the motor. Mm -hmm. And you know, you need to understand, is there any business? If you do ship engine, you go to Florida, makes mm -hmm. sense. If you do something else, you go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't depend on where you incorporate your company or where you put it. The tax for the state goes where you do business. Mm -hmm. So that is something people have to understand. Mm -hmm. And that can vary from year to year mm -hmm. and makes a calculation a little bit harder because you don't know if your next biggest project comes from Illinois mm -hmm. and the tax rate is high, but it doesn't come from Delaware or mm -hmm. South Dakota because sure. you're in the business that is in Chicago. Yeah. So that is the verdict. And you need to understand that this is the way it goes. If you were to look at, I mean, there's a broad generalization, mm -hmm. okay? But broad generalization, if you look at effective tax rates, um, is is do you th believe from a tax standpoint the U U.S. is a less expensive way to operate versus Germany? Yeah. Yeah. Overall, it is at the moment mm -hmm. because your average rate is lower. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's almost closing. Mm -hmm. That was why the tax Cuts and Jobs Act was necessary mm -hmm. because we were out of the equation. Mm -hmm. I mean, the rate is 25 in Germany plus solidarity surcharge. Mm -hmm. plus, That's a percent or how much solidarity? Uh, yeah, it's a percentage of the tax. For the non-German like ones? That's, that is the East like question. Yeah, that's the initial leader support for Western Germany for the East mm -hmm. and it never went away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I think, 7%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then for individuals, you have the church tax, which you don't have here mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. So the church is on its own. Mm -hmm. Then you have the Gewerbesteuer or trade tax in many European countries. Mm -hmm. And you have the county or state tax in the US. Mm -hmm. And that depends on where you are and how it's computed. It's not the same formula mm -hmm. in every state. Mm -hmm. But on average, it's closing. Mm -hmm. And then there's maybe the real estate tax, which makes a difference because that's very individually for copper, you know, for, for commercial or residential real estate. Yeah, that can be a big difference. If you live in Chicago Absolutely. and you live in a five square five thousand square foot home, that could be as much as forty thousand mm -hmm. dollars. Whereas if you live in Cobb County, where both of us live, uh, we're looking at uh, I would say like seven and a half or eight k. Technically in Fulton. Oh, you're in Fulton. I'm, I'm sorry. Unfortunately in Fulton when it comes to Texas. Yeah. Also, yeah. That and also jury duty. I hope you don't mm -hmm. go to jury duty. <laughs> no, I never did. Yeah. I mean yeah. that is the the tax point is very difficult because it depends largely where your customers are and your people. Mm -hmm. And because if you start a business in a certain place, it doesn't mean you operate the company from that place indefinitely because the country is so large, mm -hmm. you at one point start operating in different states like we do, like you think of, mm -hmm. because your distance is to the customer is too far. Mm -hmm. And if the customer has no FaceTime, He's not a good customer. Mm -hmm. He can, but he not necessarily is. Mm -hmm. So you need to be where the people are. Or when we hire people, we need to look at 
where is market, where are people. Mm -hmm. For many of our clients, you know, they have to have people on the West Coast, even they operate on the East Coast. Sure. Because if a machine breaks down, they cannot, I mean, it's as time consuming, then you fly people in from Europe. Yeah. You need to be there where your business is. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a mix of many factors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the US is much more competitive since the job cuts. That is a big advantage for us now. Mm -hmm. because otherwise we would have been outpriced. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I almost say this in every episode, but it's, you know, with, with all the things that are going on in Europe right now, that, is, that, that seems to be a natural momentum into, um, into our direction. Yeah, one factor is yeah. maybe important for many of the European investors. Mm -hmm. We only have two borders. <laughs> Technically, we have three, yeah. because Alaska has Russia. True. But we have Mexico and Canada and mm -hmm. both friendly borders. Even yeah. the southern border is an issue, but that's not a Mexican thing. It's more Middle American. That's correct. Yeah. Social hotspot that brings people to the border. And in Europe, you have a thousand borders. <laughs> and that is a different story. Yeah. It's very tough for Americans to understand if they've never been to Europe yeah. and if they don't know how it was when you and I grew up. Right. When we had passports in every corner and, you know, everything was more difficult yep. nowadays you often don't realize it that you cross the border already unless you pay specific attention yeah. to signage and stuff so that is a huge advantage of this market that you especially to the north have a friendly border yeah it's interesting when i listen to a lot of podcasts yeah. uh, in germany economic podcasts and there's uh you know one of the big advantages the u.s has it's a huge home market yeah i mean 83 it's like the european market yeah yeah it's a huge home market and so there's a lot same language same currency yeah, yeah. i mean you fly uh to I, I told you i was just in miami mm -hmm. um you go there you have a five guys there you have a panera there you have a you know um, a little yeah. there <laughs> yeah you know everything is there it's the same as here that's um and what's also what you mentioned earlier i mm -hmm. think you're you're very right um you have, yes, Texas is very different than New York. Uh, New York is different than California. California is different yeah. than Georgia. But it is the same language. You know, you have the same stores. You know, it is the same laws. You know, it is a yeah. union, um, you know, whereas if you, you grew up in Trier, Trier right? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what you said. Okay. Yeah, near Trier. Uh, yeah, how, how far to France? I mean, like 40, 15 minutes. Yeah, I was about to say 15. Luxembourg Airport, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you are in very two. Belgium, less yeah. than half an hour, yeah. Yeah, like five or six uh, nationalities, different languages, different cultures, uh, you know. So different Definitely. markets, how they operate. Yeah. Like yeah. people, completely different buying behavior. Oh, yeah. You know, than here. Whereas here, the buying behavior, while regionally different, it's generally the same, you know. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And the labor market here is also regional, but also national. I mean, there's a lot regional because people don't move for a dollar from California to New York. So mm -hmm. we notice it with the big tech firms that mm -hmm. if you don't spread out from the valley, you never hire somebody. Mm -hmm. Nobody comes from like its family nest in the Northeast and goes to California if they don't have a place to live and can afford it. And now that the big tech firms came to the Northeast, mm -hmm. you know, they hire and they are in Atlanta. And the same is a little bit in the industry now happening. So people move or likely move in the US, but if you look closer, it's not so much. If they don't have to, they don't want to anymore. Mm -hmm. It's less, from my viewpoint, it's uh, way less. Uh, I mean, we do deal a lot with relocation and mm -hmm. such, right, in our assignments. Because yeah. some 
regions you just really can't find anybody. Yeah. Um, and it's the U.S. has become it's known as a very mobile country, right? Yeah. Comparatively, it probably is, but it's become less mobile, in my opinion, over the last uh, uh, especially of, ten years. Yeah. yeah. And especially after the pandemic, yep. people say, why do you want me to move? Yeah. I've been in sale. It doesn't yep. matter if I'm in the head office. Right. Yep. If I'm there once a month, fine. Yeah. And that is what we notice with our clients, which makes our business interesting because you need more state returns. Yeah. Because you have people in more <laughs> states. I didn't think about that. That makes complete <laughs> yeah. sense. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're in business development right now. Um, mm -hmm. you're, we discussed your target clients a little bit. People mm -hmm. can reach out to you, you know, for any inquiries and, and, and absolutely. questions. Absolutely. So yeah. basically, we are in the same sweet spot of family-owned international companies mm -hmm. or market leaders. Mm -hmm. Innovative market leader, world market leaders. Mm -hmm. They need great support in every respect. Mm -hmm. High quality, good customer service. So that's where both of us Can are in, clients. I believe, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for, for taking you, the time to come out. I really appreciate it. And, you know, at the end, we always ask, uh, where, where can people find you best? Um, is it LinkedIn? Uh, what's your company's website? So the company's website is roedl.us, mm -hmm. R-O-E-D-L.us. We are on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. Roedl USA. Mm -hmm. It's a very well-frequented page. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm one of the maybe most active employees in our office. Mm -hmm. But it's also sort of my re responsibility to promote it. Mm -hmm. You cannot anticipate people doing it if you don't do it. Mm, sure. And I always say if you are in the business and you are not visible in the internet mm -hmm. or on the social media you are not mm -hmm. the technical people not so much like it mm -hmm. but also on the content side i like technical people to be in the internet because you can find us with technical statements mm -hmm. with tax or accounting related issues i know it's more much more boring than seeing 20 pictures from a gala or from an event <laughs> so especially the royal family likes to be online and likes to be very present so we are very well positioned when it comes to how many hits we get mm -hmm. also worldwide mm -hmm. so we emphasize on that we are in, in many other channels where i'm like age-wise not so much snapchat guy <laughs> and the youtube guy anymore but uh you find me on linkedin yeah and you find my firm yeah worldwide and in the us yeah Excellent. So that's But also on Facebook. Also on Facebook and as well. Instagram. Yeah. So it's Gerhard Schneiders. Uh, that's your handle probably on all those channels. And otherwise, yeah. it's rodelusa.com. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you so much for coming today. Thank really you appreciate for it. having me here today. Absolutely. It was fun. Thank yeah, you. It was fun. Thank you very much. Bye.